0: Hello, hustlers. Welcome back. It's John. All right, this is a big one this week. I thought it would be appropriate to celebrate Halloween with this man, Lowell Tolhurst, original member of The Cure. Doesn't get much bigger than The Cure. So, if you don't know, Lowell this year put out a, his basically his autobiography. It's called Cured. And it recounts his history growing up with Robert Smith, how they formed the band. How ultimately, unfortunately, he was basically kicked out of the band around the time of disintegration in the late 80s for that, the age-old issue, drugs, alcoholism, all that kind of stuff. And so the book kind of tells that story of how he got clean and, you know, those early days as band members and friends. I had a couple issues with the book, which I mentioned to him. But overall, I mean, if you're a fan of The Cure, you've got to read this book. I think so. Anyway, I will tell you that when I reached out to his people, they told me if he was going to do this interview, which it sounded like would be a long shot. He only really wanted to talk about the book. So we use that as a springboard. I have been a gigantic cure fan for most of my life. So I tried to sort of ask some of my cure related questions, but apply them to things I read or learned in the book. So I'm guessing if you're a Cure fan too, and there's millions of us, you should hopefully appreciate this conversation as well. Uh, he called me from his home in Southern California.
1: So for starters, the, you know, one of the main things that I thought was so interesting about your book was the way that it humanized you and Robert especially. You know I think the Cure fans put you guys in such high regard that you're, you're these icons to people. You're not always real human beings, especially Robert but reading the book you get a sense of two kids growing up together who are friends and learning new things something that i was i ha, a question i had about your grown about you growing up though is that you made a point of saying how your family was you know not the best your dad was an alcoholic and that so much of what was motivating you was growing up being so bored that you were bored yeah. and you wanted to get out of your town yeah and i thought contrasting that a little bit with Robert, who it sounded like came from more of an affluent family, and one that supported him, supported right. the both of you and what you were doing. So I'm curious, how much of you becoming a musician comes from the boredom and the need to get out of the town, or how much of it is an ingrown talent that is a passion you can't stop, you know?
2: Right. Well... There, I heard something. So uh, somebody sent me a clip about. I, I should say Jim Carrey. Apparently, he's mm. he's a really good painter, and he's just recently discovered that he had painting as a as a, a talent and something to do. And he said something which I. Thought, and actually I sent it to my son today because I think it's very true. He said, you know, life chooses what you're supposed to do. You don't get mm-hmm. to choose it yourself, really. I mean, you know, you can try to do something safer, but mm-hmm. in, in the end, you know, life tells you what your vocation should be. And so I, I agree with that. Part of that was definitely what we had with the cure because we all loved music so much that it seemed impossible that we wouldn't do something in that but also you know we had to do something together because we were friends so you know if we'd been the the cure furniture removers that might have happened as well you know um but you know in i think really growing up then which was quite uh you know it's a time not unlike actually the time now there was there was a lot of uncertainty about the world and life mm-hmm. And uh, there were two ways out, as far as we could see, and one one was to become, you know, an incredibly good uh, footballer, soccer player, and yeah. the other way was to, to form a band. And so, you know, none of us were going to. Well, Robert might have made it quite a good football player at one point, but um, Interesting. yeah, I mean, yeah, he was, he was quite good when he was younger, but um, you know, that <laughs> all changed with you know, sex and drugs and rock and roll. But um, <laughs> you know, we we. In the end, yeah, you know, the band seems to be the best way out, and it was really our vehicle out of the place. You know, the, mm-hmm. and, and when I talk about a place, it's a state of mind more than anything else. I mean, that's one reason I know going around I've found this especially with the book, with talking to people all over the, the world, is that you know the kind of environment that we grew up in. Exists everywhere. You know, it exists in California. It exists in Cairo. It exists in Paris. You know, mm-hmm. it's everywhere. So, you know, that's a, the thing that people associated with us. That's, that's where they connected because they could understand. You know, the small town boredom, the suburban angst. You know, that's that's where it came from. Yeah. And luckily, that was the thing that we we were able to communicate to people. So. That that's enabled people to understand us when they didn't really know exactly where we were from. So my real aim with the book, as I tell people all the time at my book events, is I wanted to explain my life to myself, but I also wanted to explain to people how it all started and why it all started. Because you're right, a lot of people just see us as, you know, these guys on this stage, and they don't take you necessarily... Well, they, they don't know. They don't know who you yeah. are as people. And I think for me, especially, I, I don't really feel that Robert's ever going to go and and write a book about himself. I mean, I mm-hmm. asked him once, I said, you know, you ever going to do a book? And he said, well, <clears throat> I don't know about a book, maybe a 16-page comic, he said.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That's, that's, he said, well, that's maybe what I've got. I mean, I mean he, he was being... Humorous, but he was also mm-hmm. being realistic because it, it's kind of like David Bowie. David Bowie never wrote a book about himself either, you yeah. know. And yeah. I, I understand why because it, it, on one hand, you want people to understand you, but you know, you also want people to understand you in the way that you would like to be understood. Sure. For me, I'm quite happy to to have uh, to, you know an honest appraisal of things and an honest conversation with people about who I am so I think I I was probably the only person in Mm -hmm. the the whole cure camp that could have ever written a book about that time and and about how everything was because uh, number one I was there, number two I I remember most of it, Mm -hmm. uh, miraculously and it's something that I've always felt that I wanted to do anyway I always wanted to write and in in a way, you know that that thing I was telling you about earlier about uh, what Jim Kelly said about your vocation chooses mm-hmm. you. I had to write this. I didn't really have any. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I had to do it. It had to yeah. come out at some point. You know, in fact, that's what I actually said to Robert uh, about four or five years ago. After you know, I, I had this sort of epiphany about it one one time in just yeah you know, 2013. I said, I have to do this. I have to write the story. Yeah. And and I said, you know. Don't worry, you know, I I know where all the bodies are buried, but it's going to be fine, you know, because Mm -hmm. that's not what I want to write about. What I want to write about is to explain to people how it all happened and why, you
1: know. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think, you know, as you're saying this, I'm realizing part of the appeal, I think, of the cure has always been that there's an air of mystery around you guys and why, why you're doing the things that you're doing, why you are choosing to look the way that you look. And there's something to be said for that. I think that that feeds the fan base. The the obsessiveness of the fan base is sort of loving you but never being able to fully touch you or hold you in a way. You know what I mean? And because Bo, Bowie had that too. You say yeah. you know Bowie's never going to write his book because the switching and the the freedom to change what whenever he wanted without having to explain himself. That's right. what fed him.
2: You know? Yeah, so, no, absolutely, I I I think that's very true. I, yeah. One of the most Revealing things that I've seen in the last few years was I, I saw a picture of David Bowie walking down the street in in New York, and he was totally unaware that he'd been photo, photographed. Or you know, because he was in he was in what I would characterise as middle aged dad clothes, <laughs> and 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 it really was kind of startling to me to see that because yeah. you know. Uh, You always have this image of him as this very dapper person, very otherworldly and stuff. And and he is, like I said in the book, you know, the time when I saw him on TV in 1972 in England, it blew my mind because Mm -hmm. it it was, I'd never seen anything like that. Uh, But then to see this picture all these years later where he's walking down the streets in a pair of, you know, uh, sort of... Dad shorts with the dad sure. t-shirts and and a pair of dad sneakers on, you know. It, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it, it kind of blew my mind because you don't think of like that. No, yeah, you don't. I think that's the same with you know the Cure. They they don't people don't really think of us other than you know the. I, I think people were always surprised when they came backstage that you know it wasn't like this sort of. Bat cave back mm-hmm. there with with you know people crying at each other and yeah. and lots of velvet curtains everywhere. I think they were surprised that we were had were quite humorous with each other and stuff. Right. You know, I, I think they they expected us to be a different way. But for me, it all boils down to to the fact. That I think we always took what we did seriously. Mm-hmm. I don't think that we we always took ourselves. I think if you take yourself too seriously, sometimes you're in danger of you know. Disappearing up your own behind, anyway. Very yeah, and uh, you know, but it, 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 we, we we took what we did seriously. We were always committed to that. You know, I know even now, Robert's committed to it on a on a daily basis. You know, sure. in fact, probably to the point of obsession about a lot of things. You know, that's good. Somebody has to do that, like like yeah. said. book, you know, somebody has to look into the abyss. You know, <laughs> that's what the Cure fans always kind of wanted us to do. Yeah. In in a way, so yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. It's uh, there, there's that connection.
1: Yeah, you know, one of the things, and us talking like this, I'm I'm realizing maybe this was even by the by design because the one thing that I came away from the book thinking is that I felt like I got to know you guys better, but I don't feel like I understood you better. And <laughs> I, and I, you know what I mean? I felt because you're <laughs> the Cure are such. They're such a singular band. There's never really been anyone quite like them. And the mixture of the look and the sound, I think a fan would want to know, you know, where is this coming from? What's the motivation? In fact, right. there was a line in the book, and I meant to write down the page. I forgot. But it's. It, you mentioned that you guys were on a mission. And <laughs> I'm wondering, what was that mission? Was it a preconceived idea? When you were youngsters, did you think, this is what we're going to do. We're going to map this out. I want to further the cause of X. Or were you yes. just sort of, you know, going along uh, moving with every whim or wherever your muse took
2: you? I, I think I think the truth is probably about 50-50 of, mm. of, of both those things. Because to a certain extent, we did have, like I, I was trying to explain at the beginning of the book, we did have our own kind of culture our own cult you know we had things that we very very much liked and things that we really didn't like and you know it's like most people when they make a band the first thing they do is is they decide all the people that they admire and they try to play songs Mm -hmm. like that you know Mm -hmm. so if they if they like Jimi hendrix they try to make a song that sounds like Jimi hendrix and that's Mm -hmm. how you kind of start and for us we kind of took it from the other way around. We thought of all the things that we didn't like the stuff that we, we weren't happy about, like sort of this you know, overblown prog rock and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. and we decided, okay, well, we won't play that kind of thing. So we'll minimize the drums. We'll minimize the guitar. We won't have any big long guitar solos most of the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll kind of make it simple in that way. So that was our attitude to most things that we, we were very, um, I don't know, for, for Catholic schoolboys, we were probably very un Catholic in our, uh, you know, our, our tastes. Right. You know, we we could like something just because it appealed to to our personality mm-hmm. as opposed to being part of a particular scene. And so yeah. that means we would never kind of nail down to one scene because we like lots of different things. I mean, it's funny, you know, two days ago, well, no, it was yesterday, yesterday, Glenn Campbell died, right? Mm-hmm. And. hmm. And, and I put a tweet up about it as, you know, I'm a, a modern man. And sure. uh, because, I, you know, Wichita Lineman is, was really, you know, one of the, the the emotional strings of my musical heart growing up. It really was, you know. Yeah. And, and somebody wrote to me and said, really? that You know, you had Glen Campbell in England and you know sure. they were kind of amazed that, that yeah. you know, that connection could have could have right. place. you know. And to yeah. me, it seemed normal. So I think, Maybe that's the mirror that people don't see with us that some of the stuff that we connect together to us was all part of our growing up that we connected with those things, and that was really the way we drew all those little threads together, and that was really the threads that drew us together yeah you
1: know,
2: because because we liked the same things we liked the same uh you know, stuff in art. And then we had the motivation to do it because we grew up at the time when music exploded and and there was a a way out, you know. I mean, I I always say to people that Joe Strummer gave me the permission to start Mm. The Cure. Mm -hmm. You know, he didn't do it personally, but, you know, just seeing The Clash when I was, you know, 17 or 18, you know, totally freed me up. I knew exactly, okay, we can do this now. We can do something, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Whereas you know, a few years before seeing Emerson, Lake and Palmer, and that is strangely enough, out here in California, Keith Emerson before you know, he passed away was one of my neighbours, and I said uh-huh. that, I said that to him. I, got, I introduced myself through a you know, mutual friend, and I said, Yeah, uh-huh. you know, I said, look, I went to see you when I was twelve years old. You were one of the first bands I ever saw, and I said, you know, I went completely a different way. I said. Uh-huh. Uh, just wanted to tell you, you know that that's that's what happened. And he said, you know, so it's funny. He said, because my son, his favorite band, is Secure. So really, it, it was this whole big loop, you know, without well, me even uh, worrying about it, you know. So yeah, uh, so yeah it very it's, it's but,
1: interesting what sparks our imagination. I I interviewed yeah. Ian, Ian Anderson from Jethro Tull recently, and their songs from the Wood album. I heard that when I was about 12 or 13, and it completely changed my life. But I, I don't actually like prog rock, and I only like some Jethro Tull. And, yeah. But what happened was through um, my interest and in, in love of what I was hearing, it turned my mind on to British music in general, which turned me on to you. So I became the obsessive Cure Smith. Echoing the bunny men, psychedelic right. Furs fan because I learned to love England through loving Jethro Toll. So Jethro Toll was my gateway to the cure, but that doesn't make any sense. And yet uh, kind of what you were saying about Palmer, it's the uh, it just happens. Who knows why these things happen but they it, it, exactly. To their mind.
2: I mean, you know, uh, there there are lots of little connections there, you yeah. know, when 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 I look at you know, both myself and Robert have older brothers and they kind of introduced us into music through the 60s where it was their time you know mm-hmm. and so all the psychedelic stuff you know filtered in through our psyche without us having been you know knowing about it you know it, because yeah. I would, we would walk past you know richard's room or my brother john's room and we would hear that stuff you know and yeah. uh I, I i incidentally, i i try to be proactive with that with my my own son you know he's 25 now and i I played him all, all the stuff early and made him go to see bands with me when he was younger, that I thought would either not be around later, you know, or would either be dead or not touring mm-hmm. at all. And mm-hmm. and he told me a few months ago that he was really glad that we did that. He said, yes. because it gave me like a advanced notice about stuff that I would have found out about eventually, but I might not have found out about
1: until <laughs> too late,
2: you know? Yeah, interesting. But you got
1: to admit that No one has ever done the brand of, we'll call it beautiful darkness that the cure has masterminded. I mean, that's what really makes you guys so special, I think, is speaking to people somewhere deep inside in a way, in a language that only you guys speak. Where, I guess I'm just going to ask, where do you think that comes from? Is it you guys in a, in a studio saying, oh, this little droney part's nice? I'll try that. Is it you guys being dark people at the time and giving a soundtrack to what's happening inside of you? I mean, where that's the thing I came away from the book still confused at. Where does this come
2: from? I think it comes, you know, and, and I want to say this without sounding pompous, it comes from a, a natural yearning as far as I'm mm. concerned, because... Yes, we 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 grew we grew up in a time that had some of those questions, but also you know the things that we all liked in in art and literature always tilted more to the emotional and the contemplative. Really, you know mm-hmm. that's really mm-hmm. what it is. And and yeah. so I, I think you combine that with with you know what was basically you know quite a strict Catholic upbringing. You're mm-hmm. you've got to. I, it's amazing to me how many musicians come out of that particular. You know, combination, but for us, I think that's really where we wanted to go. We wanted to yeah. have that that yearning a little more, especially especially Robert and especially myself. I know,
1: yeah,
2: sure, that's where we wanted to go, and that's where we felt the most comfortable. it's where I've always felt the most comfortable. I, I know mm-hmm. Robert as well. That's you know, he he has a love of different other kinds of music as well, but he always feels comfortable with the more sincere, the more emotional, yeah. yeah. Because, I talked to him a little while back, and I said to him, "Which which do you like best now?" I said, "Which you know, do you like to play guitar or do you like to sing?" And he said, "I like to sing more than anything." He said, "That's, that's the thing," and I know that's true because you know his dad was always the loudest one in the church choir as well. I oh. remember, that. yeah. So it was going to happen anyway, you know. Yeah. But yeah. But you know, it, it, it's it's just just that you know the, the human. Yeah. The human condition. We always wanted to express that, and luckily, the point where we did it coincides with the point where where most people find themselves when they're teenagers, going from being you know kids into being adults, and and that's the point where we connect with a lot. Of, and still, even mm-hmm. today, you know, I mean, I I I've, I've had people at, at my book events from sixteen to sixty. Mm-hmm. you know which really yeah. freaks me out. I don't know where people who are teenagers now see the connection with with you know some middle aged guys, but they kinda they do they still get yeah it. And, well, and it has I think to myself it has to be that that that's the connection you know,
1: yeah, I think like I said i just i feel like the cure managed to to tap into a universal language that no one probably even honestly not to sound hyperbolic but in really the history of rock has ever quite been able to express as well as you guys do, and it's a miracle to people who are fans of yours. I just wondered if anyone if you or if it just was ever premeditated like we we're onto something here, but it sounds like it 's not It sounds like it's you're tapping, you're you're putting a sound to your own internal emotions. It right. sounds good to you, and it just so happens that it resonates with millions of other people yeah. too yeah
2: you know? to it happens to be the thing that we always loved. And you know, for me, it's like that other thing. People always ask me, oh, did you think that you were ever going to be successful? And and the answer is always, no, I, that wasn't really what we thought about at all. You know, yeah. all we thought about was like, when are we going to make the next record? When are we going to make the next thing? Where are we going to do the yeah. next? We were always moving forward. And it wasn't until many years later when I stood still and looked back that I realized what happened. You know, and there was, there was no, I'd like to say there was a master plan, but there was, you know, I think we probably thought about the length of a year. You know, oh, we should be on the road for a year. Okay, well, then I better, you know, do this, this, and this. But um, I, I, we never had like, okay, this year we're going to do that, next year this, and then the year after. Mm. It was never planned like that. And, and mm-hmm. I think that's that's probably why it worked, because I think yeah. if we had tried to plan it, it would have all gone horribly wrong.
1: Yeah, you're probably right. Kind of along these same lines, so I'm going to read a a line from your book. It's on page 218. I think it's when you're talking about that show in Argentina. Uh, And um, it says, The Cure generates great loyalty from their fans because they know that the band is on their side and a part of their lives. As a result, people are very committed to The Cure. Why do you think people know that? um, Why do you think people feel that?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I know most of the long-term, for want of a better word, super fans. I know most of them. I've met most of them personally over the years. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that struck me really strongly when when we got together again in 2011, did that uh, show in Sydney for Reflections. You know, we, mm-hmm. we went down to Sydney because we thought, well, we go far enough away if it all goes horribly wrong. You know, nobody will know. And we did a show, and I looked down into the audience, and I saw people that I'd known for thirty years, you know, from ha- having seen them at many, many concerts. And what I what I see in them is it's like it's that feedback loop. It's it's an acknowledgement of what who they are as people, but maybe they can't do they can't express it quite the way we can. So yeah. we're there to express it for them, and they know. But that's a safe place to be i I think somebody asked me recently, what do I think that the cure you know what is the cure's legacy I mean which is a bit mm-hmm. of an all encompassing question, but yeah. uh, one specific thing and i I think in a way, if I remember the time that we came that we came from, I think what happened was the cure made it possible for young people uh, and specifically in lots of ways, young men. To to wear their hearts on their on mm-hmm. their sleeve without being thought of as being uh, in some way weaker or less than mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it, because rock beforehand was always very very sort of super misogynistic and and very very hyper masculine and the same thing you know for music later on with hip hop and stuff it became like that as well but the cure never like that but they also the cure were not fey there was a strength there. Yeah. inside of the emotion and that's one thing i know that all these people that, that follow the band for it that's what they that's one thing that they they loved and they latched on to plus the fact i mean just very straightforwardly most of them have talked to us they've talked to me they've talked to robert and they know that we're sincere with mm-hmm. what we do and we're sure. not we're not just, you know, thinking, okay, we've well, got to get me out of here, you know, get the the, the next, uh, you know, wad of cash or whatever. It's not really about yeah. that. You know, and, that, and yeah. they feel that. So that's that's uh, a sincerity that, you know, you, you can't yeah. manufacture. Sometimes it can be a little scary because some people are so um, attuned to, what, you know, if I meet them, it, it can be a little... <laughs> I, I I worry for them because I, sure. I find you know, they're, they're perhaps a little bit too intense. Yeah, and uh, you know, but most of the time it's, it's absolutely fine. Good. Okay,
1: okay. So I want to transition a little bit from the sound to the look, because right. <laughs> that was just as big a part, honestly, of the of what made the cure the cure. And it seemed, unless I'm misremembering, it felt like it. You summed it all up with like one line. Oh yeah, and then. Robert put on some makeup before a concert, and I thought, was it really that simple? Because that's been a you know, not a uniform, but that's been his costume ever since. Yeah, you know? pretty
2: much. And, and and I think you actually had it right the first time. The uniform it is the uniform. Okay. You know, I I have to remember, you know, like when <laughs> yeah I don't I you know, living in California I bump into a lot of Cure people, and I usually bump into them at the supermarket. Uh-huh. And and I have to remember, you know, to to put on my correct clothes and put, you know, and and, you know, shave and brush my teeth because otherwise I'll always meet them when none of those things have happened, you know. Uh And uh and and it's like, but I don't think it's a bad thing, you know, because I have a I have a very definite image, a definite uniform, and it's the same thing with Robert. We but we all that evolved it never came it didn't come along one day perfectly formed
3: it uh-huh. evolved
2: you know we 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 had there's several threads to me where that came from one very obviously is Susie because yeah. she had a very very striking image and we met her very early on in our career and you know it was it's it's like a sort of slight adaptation from there so I give her I give her kudos for that but the other part, the most sort of important part, the hair and stuff, came from like 19th century romantic poets, French romantic mm-hmm. poets, which is what we aspire to be in, in our most, you know, pompous moments. But mm-hmm. it, it really, you know, it, it's kind of what we wanted to show the world. So we put all that together and then made it a little rock and put a little, you know, stuff. Yeah. In and that 's really what happens with with all images and all music you know they're they're mash ups of of yeah. everything that's gone before, but like my friend Phil Thornley said, he said you know one thing you want to do when you're a band is you want to have you want to be unique you want to have whatever yeah. it is you know if, if if the bass player plays you know the bass behind his head that's the thing that you want to yeah you you, you want to put that forward you, because that's the only thing that's going to make you different from everybody else because by this time. Yeah in the world, you know, where, where, if you you know, I was recently in Memphis and I went over to some studios and saw where Elvis had sung. And I was thinking, mm-hmm. well, you know, all of that, everything that we are doing now, everything that we've done came from, you
3: know,
2: yeah. one of the elements came from here, from this little yeah. room in the middle of, you know, yeah. uh, Memphis. Uh, but it wasn't that long ago.
3: It's not yeah. that long ago.
2: So, it's all been distilled down, it's all gone round and round again, but you, you have to keep finding something in it that's mm-hmm. different. And yeah. for us, I think the the what was different about us came from us, from our personalities, from the way that we were as people. You know, it's like, I'll go back to Joe Stromer, He said, don't mess with the chemistry. It's all to do with the chemistry. You know, the whole mm-hmm. reason the cure succeeded in lots of ways was because if you put us all together with you know, I think about the the people I grew up with who are my teenage buddies, which is Robert, Simon, Michael Dempsey, Pearl Thompson. Those people to me are the nucleus of the whole cure. Mm-hmm. And that's where it all came from. That it's just you know, it's it's our teenage
3: yeah.
2: life, if you like, evolved, grown up a little bit, but added to you know, added some sound
1: did you ever feel like you were a prisoner of an image or a sound? I I guess an image specifically, because, you know, I was thinking, I think the mat. it sounds so, I don't mean to oversimplify, but just Robert's red lipstick brought just enough Technicolor to a band that people who don't know any better could have easily just categorized as something like darkness or goth or something uncommercial that they can't relate to. Yeah. But just having smeared red lipstick on someone's face brought enough color to balance it out a little bit so that it wasn't quite all the way over on the goth uh, black uh, end of the spectrum.
2: Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. And I mean, that's that's always been the, the that's – that's been actually the whole uh, – Rosendett in the, with the Cure because in, inside of all of the dark stuff, inside of everything, there's always like little connections to something with more spirit and more, I don't know, emotional mm-hmm. powers. Which is yeah. why I never thought of the Cure as being dark and demonic. I, that mm. was never who who we were. It's yes, it's dark, but it's ultimately hopeful and and yeah. liberating. You know, yeah. and that. That's really. Uh, I've lost count of the number of people that have said to me over the years. You know, I I so I was so glad that we I had the cure when I was growing up because I had all these dark times, but this helped me through it. And that's really. I, I suppose. Yeah, you're right. You know, the the red lipstick is like it's a little glimmer of a bit more. Um, yeah. You know, glamour, a little yeah. more glamour that leads you out and leads you yeah. on to to life rather than to destruction, you know, because I always think, well, you know, it's creation. Creation is expanding, you know, and yeah. this destruction is destroying and pulling it back down into yourself. And we were always about, you know, creation, really. Yeah. Even yeah. at even at at the darkest moments, it was always about creation. And, you know, I think that's really where, where, it, where it all came from.
1: Now, you had mentioned, I got the impression that... Specifically, the song The Walk. Love, Crab. from all of this obviously is from an outsider's perspective but they seem to us as transitional songs from a band that was doing one kind of thing into a band that could do poppier things if they wanted to and it sounds to me from the book that those songs were written on a dare is that right did somebody just challenge Robert with hey let me see you write pop songs and this is what he came up with
0: Hey gang, I'm going to break in here to cover some business. First of all, we now sell t-shirts, Hustle t-shirts in black and heather gray. They match the logo. They look great. They're only $19.99 and you can find them on Amazon. So go into Amazon and type in the Hustle podcast t-shirt and there they are, multiple sizes, $19.99. Nineteen ninety nine. We put I purposely kind of priced them on the lower end because I don't want anyone to think that this is some like cash grab. I want you to feel f- good and guilt-free about buying a cool looking t-shirt. I think our family is going to buy a bunch of them and maybe get like a Christmas picture taken in them. Anyway, if you want to do that, please do. We just started doing that. Hopefully you'll find them. Hopefully you'll like them. Also, it was brought to my attention recently that I don't involve the listeners often enough. And I want to rectify that because one of the main reasons we do this podcast is to build a community so that other music lovers will uh, join us and that we can all get in on this conversation and learn about the emotional, psychological, and financial impact of rock stardom however brief that might be so i want to sh- do what a lot of other podcasts do and shine a light on some of the people who share our episodes carrie pate does it pretty much every week last week's last week's episode was big with andy summers greg renoff author of van halen rising shares some of our episodes the pod father ken mills shares once in a while sit and spins joe roiland is a saint He's good at, uh, you know, furthering the word Rob Rogers, one of our listeners, he pushes it out there sometimes. I'm just so grateful for all of you. And so from now on, if you're going to share our episodes, I'm going to try and give you a shout out right here because it means so much. And let's read some reviews. We get some reviews. We've got a few on here. I think I'll read two or three every week. Uh, maybe some new ones, maybe some old ones. Uh, okay. So here's a few that are in there right now in iTunes. And if you don't already do this, please just go in and write us a review. I don't care if it's good and bad, good or bad. In fact, I'm ballsy enough. I'll read the bad ones on here too. I don't care. Thankfully we've never gotten a bad one, but if we did, I would read it. Now this is from empty glass. Five stars says very interesting and entertaining. Thank you. Empty glass extensive in-depth interviews of people we haven't heard from in decades. It's great to hear what happened to the people who meant something to us musically years ago. Thank you empty glass. All right, here's another one. I'm addicted is the subject line and it's 4 stars from David Dale. David Dale, why do you only give us 4 stars? Anyway, thanks a lot anyway. Who knew I would find these podcasts of musicians so fascinating? Some of them I remember, some I've never heard of, but it doesn't matter. John Lamoureux, that's me, thank you, warms up his interviewees and gets them to talk about all sorts of interesting things, like what it was like in their heyday, what they're doing now, old loves, regrets, highs, you name it, and you never know what John's going to ask next. I also love all the music clips every time I, oh, let me click the more button here. Every time I see a new podcast pop up, I set aside everything else I'm listening to. I wish John did more than one per week. Honestly, I do too, but I've got a regular job and so does Yan and I try not to overwork Yan and so we do what we do. Sometimes we throw out bonus episodes. All right. One more for this time around. Live the 80s. Uh, this is fascinating insights and backstories. Five stars. Thank you, lived the 80s if you want interesting backstories and juicy band facts info and trivia this podcast delivers in a big way it's all presented in a very down-to-earth conversational conversational likable style thanks man john delves into into performer personal stories with ease and elicits comments and stories never heard good stuff really good stuff Well, thanks, guys. Uh, Every week, as long as we get a few of these things anyway, until we run out, I'll read a couple more. Hopefully that incites some people to uh, write us a review. Mostly, guys, I just want you to feel like you're part of the family. We're trying to create a community here. We're so grateful for all that you do. And we want to grow and we want to find the other music lovers and get in front of them and let them know that we're here. And so we rely on you guys to do that. So thank you all very much. Let's get back to Lowell Tolhurst.
2: Then because you know our, our erstwhile manager Chris Parry, you know he he would kind of you know when we when we finished with pornography and the tour ended the way that it did at the end of the pornography tour it really wasn't a cure anymore. There was just like me and Robert and mm. that, mm-hmm. that was it. And Chris at that point, you know, and I, I probably give Chris more credit than Robert would about a lot of things, but. I think you know without him the cure wouldn't have been the cure in some ways you know because he yeah. he, he wasn't he wasn't instrumental in in deciding you know, how we do stuff but he was definitely our interface with the horrible world of rock and roll you know so mm-hmm. he he was able to you know we'd tell him what we'd like to do or what we were thinking about, and he he translate it and put it into language that, you know, the uh, polydors and the universals of this world would understand. So that was his his thing. But, you know, he said to Robert after that, well, you know, what are you going to do now, you know, because you don't have, you know, this a band, so mm-hmm. maybe you can write a pop song, or maybe you couldn't, you know? And, and that was, like, a kind of challenge to, to Robert, you know, like, well, yeah, yeah, I yeah. bet I can do it. So you know that's when Let's Go to Bed came out because that was supposed to be like an anti-pop song, you know. Because mm. Robert said to me, well, you know, all these songs, all they're really saying, you know, whatever they're trying to say, what they're really saying is, yeah, you know, I just want to go to bed with you, you know. <laughs> right. and, and so let's let's write a song like that, but we'll yeah. put line right. At, it's right at the very very end. It only says it at the very end. And you know, so for us, it was us being a little, a little humorous with ourselves, but it turned out that. it was also a way forward because to me. There are are two versions of The Cure. There's the three-piece, which, you know, the pinnacle of the three-piece, I think, is pornography for me because Mm -hmm. that's the best version of the three-piece. that did Kiss Me which mm-hmm. uh, some Cure fans call the Imperial Cure which I never understood why
1: <laughs> it freaks me out
2: a little bit you know but it, it's, it's naturally a more melodic more tuneful kind of mm-hmm. band because you've got more people to be able to play you know and, and, and it's like you know there's the addition of more keyboards Me back with his marvelous guitar, you know, because I still yeah. think, you know, to this day he's the most uh, underrated guitarist in, you know, oh, in, he's he's so talented with the stuff he can play and do, you know, so it's like,
1: yeah.
2: you know, so once we had that band, so those three singles are really the ladder to get to where that band was, you know.
1: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Do you feel, and I don't, I hope this doesn't sound too insensitive or critical or anything like that but you know people are so used to seeing robert basically as sort of the face of the band did you feel like back in those earlier days was it was it a team writing? i know you get you know i know you have songwriting credit on a lot of these songs did you feel like it was an equal partnership or did you feel like you were sort of enabling robert to be the you know the Genius that he would prove himself to be. I hope that doesn't. I don't mean to minimize you in any way by asking that. I'm just curious Uh, if you, you know, if you felt like you were an equal partner all along, or I know that started to dwindle around disintegration and
2: everything. But in the
1: beginning, anyway.
2: Yeah. No. In the beginning, definitely, I felt like equal partner creatively and every every other way. You know, I think that that changed as it as it went along, and it changed more because of the outside influences and anything else, you know, because Mm -hmm. a a lot of the time, you know, different people that we'd have to deal with would much prefer just to deal with one person as opposed to having to deal with two or three. So that changed. Now, having said that, you know, I think there's there's some culpability because things don't always, you know, they they don't happen in a vacuum. But you have to remember most of the stuff that happened for us happened before we were 30, so, uh, that's a point. You know, and 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 I don't know anybody before. that. I mean, I look at my son who's twenty five, and you know, he's a smart guy, and he's a lovely guy, and and he's a really you know, he's good at what he does, and he wants to do lots of things, but life experience, it's really not there to know. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I I see certain people that he mingles with and that he knows. Uh, and I already see what's gonna happen with some of them, you know, and some of them I tell him because I don't want him to get hurt, but you know um, and some- some of them I, I think are really lovely people, and I know he'll know his whole life, but yeah. you, you have to you have to you know it's like when I started writing the book i my agent. Peter said to me, It's really good that you're writing this now, he said because he said, I have some clients who are in their thirties. Most of the stuff happened to them you know a few years ago. He <laughs> said they've got no perspective about mm-hmm. you know what actually went on because they're too too close to it. You know you've had twenty five years to think about this stuff, and you know that may that's going to make your perspective much much clearer and yeah. and I think that's the truth about what happened back then. If I was to look at it with the eye of today there's some things I would change a little bit, you know? Not much, mm-hmm. not really, not much. But back then, my whole thought was, OK, you know, I want to do something together, myself and Robert, and I wanted to go forward. He's going to be singing this stuff, so, you know, he's, he's got to be the front guy. And that's good, yeah. you know, that's good. We have <laughs> to have that. But, you know, definitely at the beginning, for sure, all the way up until, I don't know, sort of the mid-'80s, I certainly felt like an equal partner. And, you know, to his Good. credit, Robert, Robert was always, you know, include me in everything. But, you know, as I describe in the book, things things have, you know, in the crazy world of rock and roll, they have a habit of spiraling yeah. into that uh, hackneyed cliche, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that, that's really what happened to us, I think, more than okay. anything else. I think, you know, if we did, it's like that old saying, you know, youth is wasted on the, on the young. You know, if we've mm-hmm. done it all now, It would have been way, way kind. I mean, actually, Simon Simon Gallup said that to me a few months ago. He said, you know, he said if I he was really happy that I was doing the book, and he said if I if I've one regret, he said it's that we weren't kinder to each other when we were younger, Mm. you know. And and, but but you know, we grew up in a very strange way. We grew up in a very strange place. He said it was kind of inevitable it turned out the way it did with all all the things that went on. He said, so I guess we have to kind of forgive ourselves that a bit, which is what I think, really, you know?
1: Yeah. What is, I mean, you came back in 2011 for the, for the, uh, what's the name, Recollection? Reflections. Reflections, yes, Reflections Tour. And played, uh, you know, played some shows and everything. Uh, from what you say and what, from what I hear, the bridges have been mended and everyone's friends again. What stops you from rejoining or at least contributing more often? Is it just, is this, is it like a divorce where it just doesn't make sense for a couple, even though they may like each other, to continue a relationship or is there something else more to it?
2: Um, You know, to to me, yes, I guess it's a bit like a divorce. It, it's like, Yes, we we are all you know. It's it's like you know. I always remember that uh, Forty Towers episode where where John Cleese is telling the the uh, the old Colonel in the bar, you know, not to disturb the German guests, you know, because we're all friends now. The uh-huh. um, war's <laughs> right. over. Don't forget, Colonel. We're all friends now, and yeah. that's true. You know, we are all friends, but you know, there's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff that went on. I I think. When we did Reflections, everybody was a little tentative at first. You know, maybe mm-hmm. the old demons would surface, but they didn't. And there's a very good reason they didn't, because you know, all the other stuff that went along that actually was the, the you know, the trigger for all of that has gone out of my life for a quarter of a century. So it didn't happen that way. You know, it was very nice and it was, and it was very loving and it was really a good experience. I think... Sure. I think that we would all want to do it again. Uh yeah, we've got twenty or thirty years. So I i yeah, there's there's a little bit more impetus for us to want to do it, but I don't think there's any rush completely. Okay. You know? okay. Uh, but, yeah, I I would like it to happen and I think uh, sooner or later it will.
1: Okay, good. That's good to know. Now, one of the things we talk about on here as sensitively as possible is how musicians really make a living. because um, that's you know, you've got to find a way to pay the bills. Over the long haul, I assume you predominantly make a living off of pure royalties from those first few albums and everything. Um, I know you have side projects like Leavenhurst, which is great. I don't mean I don't mean to, I don't mean to dis- disregard it by calling it a hobby, but it, it's I no. don't know that you're out there touring and you know the world no. with it. So how no. do you
2: primarily pay your bills today? Well, you're quite right. Leavenhurst certainly doesn't pay the bills. But, okay. Yeah, most of my income is still uh, you know cure related. The, the book, I have to say, very uh, nicely has given it a, a much needed shot in the arm mm. as well. Um, but yeah, most of my income is related to uh, the, the stuff that I did with the Cure still, and, okay. and 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 in some very strange ways as well, which I'm I'm not really at liberty to explain. Sure. But,
1: okay.
2: But in ways, uh, and I I didn't mean to be you know a bit mysterious by putting that one out there, but no, yeah. there are there are things if you if you have a band that's written some songs that's done some something over, yeah. you know a great period of time, strange things happen, you know, 20 or 30 years later after they've all been done because, mm-hmm. uh, you they know, they appear in the strangest places, you know, we, we had a song, we had a song that we did with our friend, Cult Hero, we did it uh, with Frankie Bell, and we did it with a, you know, like one night, a drunken night in the studio, we, we wrote this song for him and he sang it, and we put it out, and I thought, well, that's the end of that, you know, it, it's uh-huh sold, you know, a few thousand copies and that was it. And uh, 30 years later, I'm listening to the Super Bowl. It's on, one of the songs is on the Super Bowl commercial. Really? What song
1: are we talking about here?
2: I dig you, I think it was on on, uh, an advert for monster.com or something. No way!
1: I dig you
3: We dig you You dig me We dig each other That's proving, oh yeah
2: And you know, within, within you know, within like five minutes, that song had earned me more than it ever earned anybody. You know, in no. the whole thirty years of its existence, no I didn't even know that the publishers yeah. had sold it to them. You know, so it was like, Yeah thats crazy. Uh, so you know, yeah, but you're right. Uh, I mean, yeah. by the way, in general, most of my income still. You know, okay, secure. that's what I figured. Yeah, and uh, you know, like I say, the the, the books adding which is nice sure. you know in a different way it's nice to know that i could do something different at this point in my life yeah um, yeah okay you know, it's good.
1: is there ever is there anything else that you could do or would want to do i mean are, are you i assume you're probably stable financially enough where you could say you know what i'm going to i'm going to take up wood carving
2: <laughs> and i'm going
1: to have i'm going to build a little shack and i'm going to sell you know my carvings from tree stumps out of my little shack in southern california you know what i mean i mean yeah, you could do whatever funny. you wanted do you have little hobbies like that or do you are you uh, ever tempted to try something No, completely different? really
2: it's funny you should say that though because uh i i had lunch with uh some of the guys from um another band modest mouse recently oh sure <laughs> uh, and, and um you know and I, I was i was talking to Jeremiah. And he's a very nice guy, you know, mm-hmm. original drummer. And he he, he was saying, oh, you know, like when I'm not on the road, I've started this little business. I've got a little store, you know, and my wife runs it when I'm not around and stuff. And I was mm-hmm. thinking, yeah, you know, one of the things that I would really, really like to do is just about a mile from where I live, there's this very old bookstore. And, mm-hmm. and it's... Fascinating to me because I go in there and I find these books on real, really esoteric subjects, you know. And mm-hmm. um, the old guy that runs it, I think. Well, how can he afford to keep this running? Because I'm sure he doesn't sell more than fifty dollars worth of books a day, you know. And right. it's yeah, you know, it's in the middle of Los Angeles. Uh, I mean, how does? Uh, you know, I've made some inquiries, and and he's you know. He he owns the building, so, you know, he doesn't... Okay. It's really his hobby, you know? And mm-hmm. so I'm trying to ingratiate myself with him that when he finally wants to retire, that he'd like to sell me, yeah. you know, the, the business because I would love to run my own bookstore. Yeah. And, you know, that. so that would be a hobby for me. Other than that, you know, the writing is not a hobby, but it is something that uh, I got to a point where I said, OK, I'm going to take a year, and I'm going to see if I can write a book. Yeah. And... Yeah, you know, so it's so obviously, you know, the money from the cure enabled me to have that time that sure. I could do it. Okay, But that's really my only hobby. I don't, you know, my my wife is a is you know a great surfer and stuff, but I'm mm. I'm never going to be out there. You know, she wins prizes and things. I'm never wow. going to go out there and be be a surfer. <laughs> I I'm you know all my hobbies are related to you know writing yeah. and staying and staying alive. You know, so yeah. that's sure. about it.
1: Okay. Oh, that's really interesting. It's funny you mentioned the books, the bookstore. I always think when I'm old and retired, I want to be an usher at a minor league base, baseball park. <laughs> I want to be an old man yeah. in my shorts and my like sun hat that just yeah. walks people to their seats at a yeah. small. You know what I mean? That sounds like yeah. heaven to me. Something. something I, 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 like I, that. It's
2: funny. It's funny you you share. You share the uh, that that kind of vision of the future with uh, Paul Thompson. I mean, I don't oh, think really. It, yeah, he doesn't really want to be, you know, but he is looking forward to being an old man for the same kind yeah. of reasons. Yeah. Right.
1: yeah, right. That just sounds like a really pleasant way to spend your your waning years. Is just at a baseball park helping nice
2: people. Yeah, and, and that's yeah. kind of the same thing with the bookstore. I, exactly. I love it. I have the bookstore. With people come in. We have a little chat about some interesting stuff. You know, maybe I can put some events on there for up and coming people. You know, make it a bit funky, and it would be fun. Yeah. You know. Oh, you'd be great at it.
1: <laughs> okay, I want to ask you some questions that some listeners sent in, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um One of them is from Dave Benyon. He wants to know, and I think I know this because I read the book, but I'm curious. He wants to know what song or album you feel the most ownership. Of, and I know I know that's a, you know no one ever likes to ask answer the whole what's your favorite song or album question, but I think oh. taking a, a song or album that you feel like you took ownership of, is a twist. Can you think of what that might be?
2: Well, yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, I you know I've answered this question a lot on the road, but not with that twist. Mm-hmm. And 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 I think for me, the whole of faith. I really I feel the strong ownership of that. Mother died about the time that we we did that, and all cats are grey is really a song about her mm-hmm. and about how I felt about her. So that to me is something I feel very much a part of. And, and you know, we wrote most of Faith in the studio. We we were on the mm-hmm. road for such a long time. We didn't have any time to ourselves to do what we had normally done before, which was go home and get ourselves together and write some stuff and then meet and work it out. We just, we did most of that in the studio. So it was, it was, you know, something that evolved evolved out of what was happening on a day-to-day basis. And what was happening on a day-to-day basis when we did Faith was my mother dying and Robert's grandmother passing away. And, you know, so there was a lot of emotion. So I feel very close to that in in lots (laughs) of ways. That doesn't mean that, you know, I did all the music or anything, and that it means that no. I feel, I feel the closest uh, connection with oh. that in lots of ways. I
1: thought for sure you'd say porn- pornography. That well, album seems to be well, uh, in the but
2: book. But the was a little more crazy, you know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. Fascinating. Okay. Now another uh, another listener, Ryan Ragazine. He's a gigantic fan of yours, and he asked some questions relating specifically to the 2011 reunions. Yeah. Um he was curious how something like that happens. Does are you and Robert were you and Robert at a stage in your relationship where he just sends you an email or does his people have to contact <laughs> your people? How does that even work? <laughs>
2: Well, now, I'm usually the, the conduit between Robert and, uh, and other other people, you know, because, like, for instance, Michael Dempsey and him, you know, it's been the same since we were kids, you know, I'll get an email from Robert and say, oh, do you think Michael would like to do this or whatever? And I go, oh, maybe I think he would. Shall I ask him? And he goes, <laughs> yes, would you? And, and then I ask Michael and Michael says, oh, uh, yeah, would you tell Robert I would? And uh, I go, oh, yes, I'll, I'll email him then. And, and then eventually uh-huh. they end up talking to each other. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's funny, it, things that we did as teenagers, you know, as middle-aged men, we're still doing. But, uh-huh. um, no, with that, with that for, for reflections, I I had been on the road with Leavenhurst and we played some old uh, early cure stuff and I wrote to Robert... Yeah, you because know, we were emailing backwards and forwards, and I wrote to Robert and said, you know, we had some great fun playing Faith and some of, this, some of the other songs on the, the last tour, and you know what? The Faith anniversary for 30 years is coming up very soon. Oh. It'd be a good idea to do something with it, but I don't know what we should do. You know, and a trick with Robert is always to make him think that he thought of the idea. <laughs> so, so later, yeah, you know, he forgot about it, and then three months later he wrote back to me and said, why do we do first three albums, you know, together? And I wrote yeah. to him and said, "Yeah, what a great idea, you know." So um, and that's, and that's, you know? that's great. That's yeah. great. Okay. He asked another question, and
1: this is a pretty nerdy insider question because I don't know the answer. But he said he wanted to know what it was like playing the Holy Hour. Um, I guess something relating to the Por- poor I guess, started playing it and it was a surprise to you. Was there something powerful or particularly oh, well, that's meaningful for, about playing uh, that
2: song? Uh, yeah, I mean, no, it's just because that's the first song on Faith. And so, yeah. in Reflections, it was the first song I played <coughs> out there live. So it was, just, it was just very emotional to play that. Okay. okay. and the first the first beat that song is, is for me is like this huge uh clanging bell sound so yeah. and you have to get it right because if you if you play it a little bit too late or a little bit too early it just sounds ridiculous so, mm-hmm. so I, I had a big wave of uh relief when i hit the right note you know yep. so yeah okay all right
1: and then uh i had kind of a nerdy question for you too it it seemed okay. pretty
2: clear from the book, that
1: disintegration was really where your relationship disintegrated, too. The drugs were probably at a height. And um, I, it, I read different um, accounts of really how involved you were with disintegration. But one thing I, I thought was interesting is that I read somewhere that no one really liked Love Song. Is that true?
2: <laughs> um, I don't really know that that's true. I mean, oh, okay. I. I the, the music for Love Song, as I seem to remember, was Simon. And uh-huh. so, so uh, yeah, no, I, I think, uh, no, I, I remember liking it. All, all okay. Time. I mean, I mean okay. it's quite different in in, yeah. you know, in with the rest of the album. I mean, for disintegration, you know, a lot of the time, it's like I said in the book, you know, I was hard. I couldn't even get my mind inside the studio door, let alone my body. But you know, there's 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 a song on it, I think like homesick still. You yeah. know, that came out of you know, like it was really like pulling teeth for me to try and get something out that I was happy with that I could present to everybody. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, just one more Walk away. I'll everything you bring
3: Just enough
2: is not really about drinking; it's about your mental state more than anything else. And my mental state was so bad, and it was, as you say, disintegrating at the time. Yeah. yeah. So you know, it, it, in one for me, listening to to disintegration now is bittersweet because mm. I, I love it as music and I love it as as an album. But to remember how it came about and, yeah. and what it took t- to get there is, is sometimes a bridge too far for me to think yeah. about. You know?
1: I can imagine. It's probably a shame, too, that that album, I mean, not to everybody, but that might be considered sort of the, the Cure's grandest artistic statement.
2: Right. And
1: for you to only sort of be half-hearted about, you know, in the yeah. involved in it, that's a shame.
2: Yeah, I'm kind of a weird,
1: um, I'm a weird Cure fan in that maybe my two least favorite Cure songs are Love Song and Friday I'm in Love. And right. yet those are the two biggest hits. So. Right. Anyway. Um okay. I wanted to read one more thing from your book that I thought was I thought it was a really beautiful statement and I'm curious if you still feel this way. This is back in page 76. Uh it says although 25 pounds a week wasn't much, I was being paid for playing music, for doing what I loved. It was a strange feeling like a frozen ocean beginning to melt with the spring thaw. Suddenly I could see that all we were led to believe about the world was only one way of looking at it. You could actually follow your instincts and do something boldly creative and still be able to exist. It was a very alien concept to me, as I had always felt that artists existed in another world, one that I loved but was only able to view from the outside like a fairy tale, slightly surreal and not quite whole. And I think that was really beautiful because one of the things – now, you don't really fall under this, but most of the people that I talk to for this podcast are sort of people who had a moment. They had right. like one hit or they put out one album and they right. went from nothing to something and then kind of back to nothing again. That right. didn't happen to you, but I think you... Right. So I'm always interested in the transitions that these people go through in their lives when they go from being a struggling musician to one who's getting paid. And that right. description is so beautiful. Do you, um, I, I mean, elaborate on it. What was it like to finally... You know, to to graduate from being that struggling musician to somebody who could pay their bills, and and you're still
2: doing it. It's right. the gift that keeps on giving. That's, that's the thing that's amazing to me. You know, I, I think I'm basically unemployable now. You know, uh-huh. I, don't, I don't think I could really work for anybody. But, you know, for the last 40 years... The, the dream that we had as teenagers has supported me. And that's been one of the most amazing things for me to go on a lot. I've been doing a book tour for the last year, um, to go to all of these places, all to these cities, and say thank you to people, you know, because yeah. really, you know, they, the people that come and buy the books, uh, the fans, uh, hey, you've supported me my whole life, and I'm very, very grateful for that. I think what I was trying to do when I wrote about it was describe the feeling that we had, you know, especially myself, because, you know, I I had a job at that point and I was going Mm -hmm. to school and I really thought, well, you know, maybe I can be something in music or maybe it will never happen. And then all of a sudden I was liberated and I was free to do it. And it was a very strange feeling, you know, and, and it was kind of like sometimes when I'm here, in L.A., walking around in the afternoon, you know, if I walk down certain uh, streets, you know, it's all quiet because everybody's out at work and stuff. And mm-hmm. I think, yeah, you know, that was the same feeling that I got. Yeah. I I couldn't quite put it into words, but I tried to explain that it was it was like a liberation. And I I I have to I have to tell a, a profession to make. I I pinched a little bit. Of the first part from uh an idea that Kafka wrote about about oh. you know about breaking the, the it's uh, to, so, you know a book is an axe to break uh open the you know the frozen thing uh-huh. mind or something like that. I paraphrased it very wrong there but
1: sure. uh,
2: but you know so. It was. It was like, that moment, it was like, oh my goodness, we'd read all these books about how we could do things and where we could go and and how people had these fantastic images and lives. And we were on our way to be able to do something with that, you yeah. know? It's yeah. funny because uh, two weeks ago I was in England and I, I did an appearance. At, a lot of festivals down in England have, um, like, all kinds of different stages. They they have comedy stages, they have theatre stages, and they have literary stages. So I did a couple of festivals in England where I, I appeared on the literary stage, and uh, I went to one in the north of England called Kendall Calling, and mm. um, uh, Tim Burgess from the Charlatans has a uh. has an event there called Tim Peaks, which <laughs> yeah, which is kind of funny, and he has uh, like this big diner and they do, like, those little bands, and then, you know, they have some people talking, and they have DJs, like Don Letts was there DJing. And then, oh, cool. Um, the, I, I was talking to Stuart from Mogwai. His girlfriend oh. had a ba- band called Elizabeth Electra. and they were playing, and I talked to a band from Japan, Taffy, who were there, who did a version of Boys Don't Cry, which was kind of interesting, wow. uh, nice. sung by a girl. And um, so I did my my, my you know... Event from that, and um, it w- it was really good just to just to get on. I've totally lost my thread here.
1: <laughs> totally lost it. The
2: question, you were it
1: talking was, about uh gra- basically graduating to becoming a a musician that gets paid to do. You'd read all these books about right. how to become a musician, and then you were t- started talking about that festival.
2: Yeah, so the festival was amazing that I could. Yeah, actually, get up there and talk about a book that I'd written yeah. about myself. You know, yeah. at a music festival, and it's forty yeah. years later, and it's still providing me with with a life. So, to me, yeah. it was just something that uh, you know, proved to myself that that yeah. you, you you don't have to always go. Oh well, you know, nobody's done it before, so it's not possible, or, or I'm yeah. not good enough to do it. You have to follow your your vocation you have to do <coughs> your stuff because you know eventually you know it can happen and and yeah. that's what i really like and i talked to a, a young kid this is what i wanted to say i talked to a young kid uh actually it was a guy that interviewed me for for the event at uh, the festival from a, a young english band called cabbage and uh i, I talked to joe the singer and he reminded me so much of uh, a version of, like, across between myself and Robert when we were his age. You know, he's, like, obviously in his early 20s. -hmm. And uh, that's very heartening to see that there's stuff like that still going on. And he was saying to me, oh, you know, we've just gone from being, I started the band with my best friends, and we've just gone from being, you know, uh, a band that drove around in, a, you know, our own uh-huh. little cars and stuff. And now we've got this huge tour bus, you know, it's out the back mm-hmm. here, a sleeper yeah. bus that we can all sleep on. And we're, we're working, we're at work with each other every day, he said. And it's a strange feeling. And and I think he said it to me because he knew that I would understand, you know, sure. how, how sure. it was. And I, I said, well, you know, the best... Advice I can give you is, you know, is to keep a level head about it, and you know, yeah. try try and stay sober some of the time, you know, because yeah. otherwise it will get horribly wrong. And also, make sure you have your own hotel room. <laughs>
1: yeah. That probably helped a lot, right?
2: I think it helped a lot, because most bands, I said to Joe, most bands break up because of stupid shit. They don't break uh-huh. up because, yeah, you know, they always say musical differences, but what they really mean was, you know, the keyboard player never changed his socks or something. right?
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, that's good to yeah. know. Yeah. Um,
1: okay, last question. Now, I know that Disintegration was not the most pleasant experience for you, but as we've mentioned, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me is, Right up there, as you mentioned, the yeah. imperial version of the Cure. Were, right. Do you think that you were were you all there for the production of, and the recording of that album? Do you feel a a sense of you know ownership over that album, or is that one still kind of I feel I was about 75% there for that. Okay. okay. Yeah. You
2: know that was that. You know, It's it's a downward spiral, as yeah. uh, as Trent said. You know, it's definitely a downward spiral, um, but. Uh, Um, Kiss Me I think about. I was about 75% there
1: Okay, okay That's what I was wondering Well, uh, Lowell I love you very much And I'm so grateful for All of the things that you've done in your life That have enhanced my life And uh, brought me And millions of other people So much joy And a beautiful darkness A way through the darkness Um, So I am so grateful for you And thank you for talking to me uh, you're,
2: you're more than welcome, and thank you. It's
0: been been a lot of fun. There you have it, Lowell Tolhurst. I hope you guys enjoyed that, and I hope I did right by all the other Cure fans out there. You know, I've been a fan most of my life, and so I had a lot of questions, and I hope you guys learned some things maybe you didn't already know. And by all means, pick up Cured. Um, any Cure fan has to read that book. I mentioned my issues with it. I don't feel as if I came away fully understanding how they became what they became, Uh, but you learn so much about those early days and their friendship and growing up together, not to mention Lowell's challenges as an addict. So you gotta pick up Cured, you know how to buy a book, Amazon, wherever, Barnes and Noble, whatever you're gonna do, go get it if you like the cure. Now, teaser for next week, I can't decide, I'll be honest. I, I got two interviews, well I got like 10 in the can right now but there's two that I'm leaning toward, and they are both with um, excellent alternative bands, American alternative bands from the 80s. One of them has a lot of tragedy in it, and the other is one of my all-time favorite bands, which regular listeners will know because I've brought them up many times. So I'm debating between which one of those to go with next week. Uh, huge thanks, as always, to Yan, the man, Mokavich, for putting everything together. Thank you, Yan, my right-hand man. And um, it, the business, you guys know by now, find us on Facebook, like the page, send me an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. I am completely full of interviews these days. And so i you can send me requests of people you want to have on the show. It might be a while before they can get on, like early next year. And please, go buy a t-shirt. We tried to make them cool and good looking and cheap and fun, so go do it. Thanks everybody, we will see you next Tuesday.